This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's got curly, fluffy, soft black hair, and she's very adorable. And she's a part of our family, and we care a lot about taking good care of her. And that includes feeding her high-quality dog food like Merrick's. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. They always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Merrick creates homestyle recipes like Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato or Grammy's Pot Pie, so you can feel good about what you're feeding your pet. I mean, you know, you come home from being out, and your dog is there to greet you, and, like, that's one of the best things about having a pet, you know? You come home, the dog's happy to see you, and they're hungry. And you want to reciprocate that good feeling they give you. When you walk in the door, you want to give to them in the form of some high-quality food. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. This episode contains explicit language and mature subject matter. Jamie, I feel like we have to start off just talking hot dogs. Yes. Please. I mean, can you describe to me your ideal hot dog? Yes. I grew up a boiled dog girl. Boiled with just a raw bun slapped open. Um, And that is not how I will be raising my child. No disrespect. I think there's no wrong way to eat a hot dog, but it's I, my I can't do without a grilled hot dog. That's always going to be the best for me now. What do you like about the barbecue grilled hot dog above other options? For me, it has the best snap. It's so it's so like carnal sounding, but you're like, you know how your teeth are just chomping through this dead animal or a great <laughs> vegan substitute for a dead animal. And it's it's a cathartic feeling, the first bite. I'm an all beef girl, but I'm flexible there. The bun, I'm very inflexible on. If it's not toasted, I walk. I'm not interested. <laughs> so the hot dogs that you prefer today, though, are the furthest possible departure from the ones that you grew up with. Um, yes. And I guess analyze me as you you will. (laughs) This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Today, I'm talking with comedian, podcaster, and author, Jamie Loftus. You might have heard her podcast, My Year in Mensa, about her infiltration into the group for supposed geniuses. She also did the Lolita podcast, where she looked at representations of the Vladimir Nabokov book in popular culture. Or maybe you know her from the time she butt-chugged the novel Infinite Jest, a book that's become a fave among hyper-literate bros. If you don't know what butt-chugging is, I'm not going to be the one to explain it to you. Anyway, in a lot of Jamie's work, she seizes on parts of our culture that have taken on outsized roles and finds the comedy and also deeper meaning in their popularity. So after Mensa and Lolita, what was the natural next step? Hot dogs are an all-American fair. Yes, hot dogs. This week, Jamie releases her first book, Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. It's about what she calls her hot dog summer, a road trip across America sampling as many different types of hot dogs as possible. And there are a lot from Sonoran dogs in the Southwest to bologna-wrapped dogs in Baltimore and chili-covered dogs across the Midwest. Jamie's story also gets personal because by the end of the trip, her boyfriend's out of the picture and she has to confront some of the troublesome aspects of her own relationship to food. We'll get to all that. But first, 
You should know that Jamie was always a hot dog connoisseur. We already learned that for her, the snap is paramount, which is true for a lot of us, although I prefer my snap to come from a natural casing instead of or in addition to a grill. With Jamie, I wanted to dig deeper. I wanted to hear her thoughts on bun infrastructure, because as I said to her, I don't think I've ever had a bad hot dog, but I've had a lot of bad buns. Uh, I feel like underthinking the bun can destroy a hot dog. It's so frustrating. I had like one of my favorite, like, I won't call out the business, but I just really hope they get their shit together. Um, <laughs> the, like, the, it was like the best like char grilled hot dog I'd ever had. The toppings were incredible, but the toppings made the bun wet and it was like falling apart in my hand. And I was like, why is this happening? This is so easily fixed. You just need a lightly toasted bun. That's all. And I, I mean, and I don't even like the bun too toasty because I have gum disease and my mouth will explode if the bread is too sharp. So a light so you, toast. So you can't even go anywhere near a Captain Crunch cereal. Oh, no. No, banh mi is off limits for me. No crusty bread. Like geyser. Right. No oh, crusty bread. I could just see a dentist, but that's not really my plan right now. <laughs> I've toasted buns, and yes, toasting a bun will make it a little, a little stand up to liquid a little bit better. It might make it a little sturdier. Mm-hmm. I also, I just don't like when the bun is like a cool room temperature with a hot hot dog. I just feel like, yeah, I, I want a warm bun. Mm-hmm. But I would actually say that the number one best option is a steamed bun. Oh, okay, I, I, I will allow that. I want, <laughs> like, I prefer toasted. I like steamed, but you can't do nothing. You can't do what my dad did and shake it out raw and then slap in a boiled hot dog and be like, "This is how I express love." But like, <laughs> but that not that that's bad. Uh, but you can, you know, it's, it's easy to do a little more. Right. <laughs> As for toppings, in everyday situations, Jamie's happy to keep it basic. Ketchup, mustard, relish. Now, there is a vocal minority who thinks that ketchup on a hot dog is an abomination. So Jamie says she sometimes gets heat for that combo. There's people that, I don't know, if you're a woman on the internet, there's worse evil DMs to receive than like you're the dumbest person in the world for liking ketchup. You know, like I can handle that level right. of aggression. Yeah, I actually, this may be controversial. You tell me what you think, Jamie. Ooh. Be honest. Okay. This is a safe space. Okay. If I'm just talking about a, a simple dog, to me, that's all I want is ketchup and mustard. Great. I will mix the ketchup and mustard on the plate. Whoa. I will do, I, and, and my go-to now is 50% ketchup, 50% Coleman's, English mustard, which is like a little spicy. It's got like almost like a wasabi situation. That and the ketchup 50-50, swirl it together on the plate and then dip the hot dog into that combination Uh on a per bite basis rather than topping the hot dog. When you spread the mustard and ketchup on top of the hot dog, you're going to get inconsistency. And, you know, if you get like a, like a little bottle fart situation, you're going to get like a splatter. Hate a bottle fart. Right. And, and then you have a big glop of ketchup or mustard in the middle of your hot dog. And you're going to have to eat yeah. that now or go get a knife or use your finger, spread it around. It's a mess. Disaster. You keep those condiments separate. It allows you to regulate exactly how much of each you want in every single bite. I think that sounds very chic. Um, I think if you told me that's how they do it in Europe, I would be like, probably, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very on, on board with this. My question, you might need to write a though, new book there. I'm going to have to do some severe revisions. 
Actually, if you got a copy of the book, throw it away. I'm starting over. (laughs) During the worst of the pandemic, Jamie found herself eating a lot of hot dogs. And she wasn't alone. Hot dog consumption more than doubled in 2020. And that got her thinking. Maybe hot dogs could tell her something about America. She decided to travel the country and try to find out. What, What were you hoping to learn about hot dogs and or yourself on this journey? Um, I was hoping I would learn nothing about myself, <laughs> which didn't pan out. But, you know, I, I was like, I would like to eat 200 hot dogs and learn nothing about myself. I think we've established that you care a lot about hot dogs. I really do. Why? Why do you care so much about hot dogs? Outside of just like a childhood attachment to them, I, I, I'm really interested in symbols that feel innocuous. And I think that that's like a lot of what I've gravitated to in the work I've done. Everyone has an opinion on a hot dog. And it's something that we're told from the time we're very young that it's a very American thing. But why do we consider it so American? Why are we so compelled to have an opinion on it? And what does that mean? Jamie set off with her boyfriend and their cat and dog, on a cross-country road trip to answer these questions. And beyond the big picture stuff, she also had some practical concerns. Like, how was she going to sample four or five hot dog places every day, many days in a row, while minimizing damage to herself, her digestive system, and her traveling companions? Fortunately, she had a strategy. I would get the classic style, whatever the house specialty is. I would take a bite. I would consider the bite. I would consider the snap. I would have my partner take a bite. He would do the same. I would do it again. And then I would never let myself finish the hot dog. I broke this rule constantly. Um, <laughs> but but theoretically, you're like, if you're going to survive the day and we have to get from New Mexico to the middle of Texas, we cannot be eating the whole hot dog at every stop, especially if it's a chili dog. That will be a catastrophe for the group. <laughs> and so the rule was broken and and the price was paid. Let's tick through some of the places. We, obviously, we can't get all of them, but there's a few that I want to highlight. Great. You started off in L.A., yes. heading across the southwest mm-hmm. of America. Hot dog Ruiz Los Chipolones in Tucson. This is the Sonoran dog. Amazing. One of my, oh, such a strong start to the trip. I love that place so much. It is independently owned and run. They have since opened a car wash attached to it. I don't know why, but they have. What, what, um, just so people know, uh, what is a Sonoran dog? The Sonoran hot dog is a food tradition from Mexico. Uh, I think the, the best American ones are in the South, uh, usually sold by Mexican street vendors. One of the most interesting buns you could find in the entire world. Because it's a little, the bun encapsulates the hot dog. Um, it's a little banana boat situation. And it's really, really de- uh, delicious. It is. It can get a little wet, but at this specific place... They toast the bun ever so slightly. Uh, It's a bacon wrapped, so it's a variant on a danger dog. Danger dog is the Southern California name for a bacon wrapped hot dog. In both cases, the dogs trace back to Mexican street vendors. As for the Sonoran dog, after being wrapped in uncooked bacon. It's grilled. It has beans on it. It has onions. It has tomatoes and um, as well as mayo, mustard, a little bit of salsa. Now, if I'm being honest, I got to tell you. I have never had a bacon-wrapped hot dog. <gasps> I know, I know. Wow. It's a real oversight in my life as a hot dog eater. I got I to gotta make it happen. I wish I could have one for the first time again. They're very special. All right. Clown Dog Hot Dog Parlor in Albuquerque. 
Oh my God. You, 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 you got something there called the Three Ring Circus, which is an all beef dog topped with onion rings, sliced jalapenos, cheddar, and SpaghettiOs. Yeah. I don't know I don't how know. that's going to hold together. Um, it weirdly, the problem wasn't it holding together. The part, the problem for me was SpaghettiOs on the hot dog. <laughs> no disrespect to, to, Clown dog because I I do like when a hot dog place has like a few experimental hot dogs. It wasn't like that was the only one they had. You could get a bunch of kind of normal style hot dogs, but then they also have like, hey, what about this? Um, <laughs> which is always fun to see. Like I've had peanut butter and jelly hot dogs where you're like, well, that was disgusting, but now I know. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> this one I, I intentionally chose because I was like, I don't think I will find this anywhere else. I really was, I, I was on board with two out of three rings. The onion rings, great. The jalapenos, great. SpaghettiOs. Oh, I didn't even make that connection because yes, no. it's called Clown Dog. I just thought three ring circus clowns, but no, it's actual rings. Onion rings, sliced jalapeno rings, and SpaghettiOs are rings. Yeah, pretty brilliant I, concept. I'm just putting that all together, yeah. I just wish that there was a different third ring. Next up. Coney Island Hot Wieners in uh, in Oklahoma City. Yes. Uh, now, these are Coney Island dogs, which are also well-known in Cincinnati and Detroit. Mm-hmm. The classic Coney dog is chili, onions, mustard. Yes. What makes a great Coney dog? Yeah. I, when I'm having a Coney dog, I kind of want them to just, like, go for it. Again, the bun infrastructure is important, but I, like, give me as much cheese as humanly possible. See if you can overwhelm me. Go nuts on the chili. I love different chili recipes. I love a Coney dog, and and, and I feel like um, a lot's riding on that chili. A lot is riding on the chili, yeah. And I I, um, I really liked the chili in New Mexico, just in terms of my, my preferences. I like Southwest chili. Mm. And I like the chili at the Varsity in Atlanta a lot. The Oklahoma ones I thought were, were very good and very underrated. You don't see uh, Oklahoma brought up very frequently in hot dog conversations. Of course, any hot dog-based road trip would have to include a stop at Nathan's Famous on New York City's Coney Island. That's the place that gave Coney dogs their name. And there's another reason this is a key destination, the annual Nathan's 4th of July hot dog eating contest. That's the one broadcast on national TV. It's a huge spectacle. Jamie planned her road trip so she'd be there for it. And the more she learned, the more enthralled she became with the contest. The history of the world is contained in the Nathan's hot dog eating contest history. I think it is a very American thing also to take something that should just be innocuous and fun and turn it into a fucking like meat grinder, like life ruining thing that is broadcast for profit. But that said, I love that damn contest. I love it so much. <laughs> I love watching it. I loved going. In the Nathan's Pal and Quinn coming up to the adoring honor of his this legendary New York ad guy named Morty Matz, who also invented the perp walk. He invented the contest sometime in the 70s, but it would always lie and give you like these wild fake stories. All lies. It was just started as to promote Nathan. <laughs> Eventually, Morty Matz passed the hot dog contest baton to a guy named George Shea. And that's when it really took off. In 2001, Shea started promoting the contest more heavily, seeding stories in major newspapers that competitive eating was the next big trend. He came up with the idea of a mustard belt to be given to the champ. He brought a touch of, you know, like P.T. Barnum to the whole event. They say that competitive eating is the battleground upon which God and Lucifer wage war for men's souls, my 
George also helped bring a Japanese competitive eater named Takeru Kobayashi to America. Kobayashi is one of the most legendary competitive eaters of all time. He basically made competitive eating popular here. He had technique. He was a showman. Like, he um, was very fit. And so George Shea, you know, promotes him and promotes him and promotes him until there is a viable white male American competitor who's Joey Chestnut, who is still champion of the world. Um, I hope to marry him one day, but it's complicated. Once Joey Chestnut came on the scene and showed he could keep up with Kobayashi, George Shea stoked a rivalry between the two. But the rivalry was about more than just two competitors. Here's George Shea in an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary called Good, the Bad, and the Hungry. I have always used pro-American rhetoric. The issue is, as someone who's competing this from an international basis, you have to understand that there's an American hero. And you can be a hero in the same exact way. But you can't be an American hero because you weren't American. So he was playing upon nativist tendencies and tropes, which all came to a head when Joey Chestnut beat Kobayashi for the first time in 2007. Some audience members right on cue started shouting racist, anti-Asian statements at Kobayashi when he lost. Kobayashi has since alleged that George Shea's company treated him unfairly, imposing highly restrictive contracts. There have been other issues under George Shea's leadership. Eating competitions used to be all genders, so men and women were competing in the same contests. But when Shea took charge, he split up competitions by gender. This pretty much ensured that women would be treated as second class. They'd be on ESPN3 instead of ESPN, and they'd make less in prize money. So there, there is like weirdly a lot of systemic issues within competitive hot dog eating that I was really fascinated by. Jamie got to see all this herself when she went to Nathan's on the 4th of July in the middle of hot dog summer. She wasn't disappointed. What? The events are just like WWE grade, like freaky nationalist excitement. George Shea, for all of the things I just told you about, like he's a really effective MC. The things he says about Joey Chestnut, he like started one intro by being like, when he was born, his mother said, you are of my flesh, but you are not of me. You are of the gods. (laughs) I was like, wow, I want to feel about someone the way this guy feels about Joey Chestnut. Coming up, Jamie highlights a few more stops on her road trip, including one dog that she and I both love. And she tells us how hot dogs came to be considered a quintessential American food. Stick around. Ooh, advertisements. Yummy. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? 
Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn Best Buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I feel great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman, and I've got a couple of very important pasta reminders for you. First off, Sfolini's Cascatelli is now available at 1,200 Walmart locations all across America. And that's not all Walmarts, but it's a lot of them. And the price there is very good, so head over to Walmart and get yours today. Also, Sfolini now has plenty of variety packs for sale. You get two boxes each of my three shapes, Cascatelli, Quattratini, and Vesuvio. Get those at Spolini.com. That's S-F-O-G-L-I-N-I.com. Thanks. 
Now back to Jamie Loftus, whose new book is Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs. We're giving away a free copy to one lucky subscriber to our newsletter, details at the end of the show. And as we get back to the conversation, heads up that towards the end of this episode, there is some discussion of disordered eating. When Jamie set out on her cross-country road trip, she wanted to understand how hot dogs became this symbol of America and Americana. Hot dogs come from German and Polish immigrants who brought their sausage traditions here. Now it's the food we most associate with the 4th of July. It's the iconic food of baseball, America's pastime. So how did that happen? My takeaway in researching the book was a lot of it is like just marketing, which feels like a very American thing, too. Of Just like there's been a lot of vested interest in uh, marketers over the years of telling you that this is the American food. These marketers came up with all kinds of legends over the years about who brought the hot dog to the American masses and how. One story involves a British guy who thought German sausages would do better than ice cream at baseball games on rainy days. Another was at the St. Louis World's Fair in 1904, where one vendor was selling sausages. He allegedly gave out gloves to protect his customers' hands from the hot meat until he realized that a bun was a better solution. All these stories have one thing in common. They're not true. Like, it's not a very sexy, like, it just sort of happened over time. In other words, there just isn't a great one-sentence answer about how hot dogs became so popular, so American. And it wasn't one moment. It happened over decades, although their growth did accelerate during one period. I, I think that they really became popular starting in the late 20s during the Depression because that was when people suddenly needed really cheap food all the time. And you say in the book, but like, but a lot of those myths are these sort of like bootstrap stories. It's like it's yeah. uh, uh, it was a, a man had an idea and set off on this mission and, you know, single handedly with no help from anybody made hot dogs right. a thing. Why do myths like that tend to gain purchase in America, do you think? Oh, I mean, I think it just like plays in very well to the like classic like American dream mythology. I think that we see like a lot of tech companies sell these kinds of myths today, maybe less effectively, where it's like, well, I worked really hard and I had one great idea and then I busted my ass and I never took a break. And now look at me and this could be you if you also bust your ass into infinity. They ignore systemic anything um, right. that would prevent you from um, being wildly successful. Right. So they're actually selling two myths. One one myth is the idea that, you know, like, like this sort of American dream idea that like anybody who works, who has a good idea and works really hard is going to end up rich, which obviously is not true. A lot of people work really hard and end up with very little. But there's also this myth that like that it was this one person. Right. Yeah. As as as, oppo as opposed to like, oh, actually, like a lot of people contributed to this and also benefited from government programs and public schools and all the other things that tax dollars go towards. Totally. Yeah. And I I I, I love how you put that because it's the more I read them, I was like, wow, Americans don't find collectives stories to be very sexy because I think it's like a pretty cool effective story to be like there were waves of German and Polish immigrants who came to the U.S. and brought their food traditions and then like made this new thing that people really love and now is like a part of our culture. That's a great story, but it's just like not one that people were interested in selling. It's easier to be like, well, I'm the guy, so you have to get mine because right. I'm the hero of hot dog world or whatever. 
Right. I mean, I will say it's kind of like um, when you can have one main character in a story, it's always going to be easier for the audience to process that story and to draw right. larger conclusions from it, as opposed to just saying a bunch of people kind of did this over a number of years. Yeah. It's it, it, It's hard to tell that story in a way that people can grab onto it and share it. Yeah, yeah. And and that usually like those stories mean that you're selling a specific product, too. It's not right. just like... Because, yeah, like the collective story is like, wow, hot dogs are interesting and good. I would like one, but nothing specific. And so it's like, well, how does that serve the interests of a business? So there wasn't one moment when hot dogs became such a big thing. And that's partly why you see so many regional variations across the country. You know, if hot dogs have been put on the map by one guy, then that guy's way of doing it would likely have become dominant. Instead, as hot dogs gained popularity over time, they evolved in different ways, in different places. Jamie saw this firsthand as she continued on her way. One of her favorite stops was Atman's Deli in Baltimore. Oh, this place rocked so much. It was very overwhelming. It was um, one of the only Jewish deli hot dogs I was able to get on this trip. Their specialty at Atman's is they have fried bologna around their hot dog. The danger dogs that are bacon wrapped go down a little easier because it's like, it's almost like tinsel on a Christmas tree. You're like, ah, oh, it's like decorative. <laughs> But right. like the fried bologna, it's like thick and intense. And you're like, this is so much meat. It's really, it's intense. And so I feel like this hot dog is doing what the Chicago hot dog thinks it's doing. Of course, a Chicago style hot dog has tomato wedges, a pickle spear, sport peppers, onions, mustard, and relish. So a lot of toppings. The Chicago hot dog markets itself as two meals in one. And you're like, mm, a good hot dog and a horrible salad. Interesting. <laughs> Since you brought it up, Jamie, let's talk a little more about the Chicago hot dog. You went all over there. You went to the Vienna Beef Factory, Wolfie's, Superdog, the Hot Dog Box, Fatso's Last Stand. You you had a lot of Chicago dogs. What's your overall take on the Chicago dog? I think there's a lot of great hot dogs in Chicago. I personally am not a fan of the Chicago-style hot dog, and I've never met someone who didn't grow up in Chicago that is like, I want that. However... That's none of my business. People can like whatever hot dog they want. It's the attitude that bothers me. There's no other region of the country that really uh, makes a personality of not wanting something on a hot dog. But Chicago makes this huge show of hating ketchup. Like, I will always ask for ketchup because I want to see how angry the person will get. (laughs) Um, And it's always very angry. And I'm like, get a life. Get a personality. Take a nap. Go on a date. Take a night class. Like, why are you so mad? <laughs> One more hot dog place we've got to talk about, Jamie. Ooh. Rutt's Hut. Yeah. Oh, the best one. Rutt's Hut in Clifton, New Jersey. We did a Sporkful episode of Rutt's Hut. And I have, a, I mean, I'm from New Jersey, so I have a lot of uh, affinity for Rutt's Hut. Like, my grandfather went to, I have a picture of my grandfather in the parking lot of Rutt's Hut. No way. Probably 100 years ago. Oh, that rocks. Um, we, like, after my grandfather's funeral, the whole family went to Rutt's Hut. Oh, my God. That's so special. But you, even as a New Jersey outsider, you fell in love with Rutt's Hut. When I was doing like my preliminary research, Rutt's Hut is at the top of everybody's list. Everyone loves it. Um, And I went in with a very, I'm not like other girls mentality. Rutt's Hut will not be my favorite (laughs) hot dog. But it was like immediately very clear that you're like, yeah, this is the greatest thing I've ever tasted in my life. We were there on um, biker night. And so it was like all these horny bikers eating rippers. And you're just like, this is why humanity exists so that this could happen right. over a highway. And I should, right. It, it's on the side of a highway. Oh. 
So good. It's an old timey building that that you, you actually described it very well. You said um, with the proper movie scoring, the building could present as a warm family hangout, a close knit but dangerous workplace, or a place to grab a bite after disposing of a body in the Passaic River. And there's no doubt it's been all three at different times. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best vibe of the world. You're like, anything right. could be happening here. And Rutt's Hut is famous for its deep fried hot dogs. It's, yeah. it's classic hot dog is called the Ripper because when you drop it in the fryer, it tears open. So it's a Ripper. But you can ask for it to be cooked a little longer. The, there's a Weller. The Weller. I, I had a Weller. The, the, the Weller is a little more well done. Then there's the Cremator, which is like hard enough to bang it on yes. a table. That one, I did not order a Cremator. So so which one did you have? I had uh, one Ripper and one Weller. And what did you think of the the, the difference between the two? W- which would you go back for? Oh, I mean, I would, I would go for the classic. I would go for the Ripper. It's like the perfect snap. The Weller, it was like a challenge, but it was, yeah, it was a little too tough for, for my blood. But the, the Ripper was like, oh... This is the, like, perfect hot dog experience. All in all, Jamie estimates she ate more than 250 hot dogs in 15 states. And over the course of her road trip, even as her views on hot dogs were coalescing, other parts of her life were coming apart. After zigzagging the country together, Jamie and her boyfriend split up. It was not the fault of the hot dogs. I feel like that's the most frequently... (laughs) Cited questions. Right. Um, it was just, it was like a relationship that just didn't work out. It wasn't working. And then it was more not working when we were sleeping in flea bag hotels every single night um, and eating six hot dogs a day. It was just not a good relationship building idea, <laughs> I think. Um, so what you're telling me is that it, it, it's not that you had a choice between him and hot dogs and chose hot dogs. No. <laughs> no, that's the sexy version of the story, though. That's right. like the good marketing version of the right. story. Yeah, see, maybe that's what you should be going with, Jamie. Maybe you should be taking a lesson from all these hot dog marketers. Yeah. I, what I meant to say is he extended a hot dog to me and said, it's me or the hot dog. And I took the hot dog and I turned and I was wearing six inch heels and it was all very dramatic. It was right, very exciting. Right. You lit a match and tossed it behind you and he burst into flames. Yes. Like in uh, <laughs> Waiting to Exhale. Yeah, it was like that. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that you sort of make, make a, a glancing reference to in the book is just sort of like your own struggles with body image, disordered eating. Yeah. Explain to me how that works alongside eating five hot dogs a day. Uh, it's really hard. I Yeah, I tried to balance that discussion in the book because, but I, I think that a lot of women in particular, but not specific can relate with is like, I really enjoy eating, but it always comes with this sense of shame that is just like cooked into the back of my head. And I can understand a hundred percent where that shame comes from, but it's still there. And it's something that I really have struggled with and something that it felt like, I don't know, it, it did feel like a little twisted to make this assignment for myself. Nobody asked for this. Um, and I was like, okay, this is going to be the thing that surely I will have to like negotiate my relationship with my body in a healthier way because this needs to happen. Um, but it was still really hard. Did, did this project change anything for you on that front? I probably will never be like, I'm totally okay with 
food forever. But it did improve, not via how my body felt. It felt pretty horrible to eat five hot dogs a day. But to find writers like Aubrey Gordon and Sabrina Strings, I don't know, reading what women wrote of how they were able to improve and negotiate their relationship with food in a way that made it possible to actually enjoy it, which should be the goal. It's weird because a lot of the projects sort of demanded a disordered eating schedule. And I think it was like when I was resetting from this project, it felt like a cool opportunity to be like, all right, whatever. I've gotten through this hot dog period. My, my, my blue period has ended. And now I can sort of rebuild in a way that like, I don't know. I mean, and it's not a hundred percent hit rate, but I feel like I do eat with more of a mind towards like, what am I going to enjoy and when am I hungry versus like a scheduled punishment that I will avoid if I can. Jamie, you said when I asked you about setting out on the road trip, if you what you were hoping to learn about yourself, yeah. you said you, you weren't trying to learn anything about yourself, but you failed. No. Yes. So what did you learn about yourself? I guess like because hot dogs – they're such a like cultural icon and in positive and negative ways, it was helpful for me to sort of use it as this kind of like compass for like, well, what is important to me? And like, as I was writing the book, the issues that felt like I wanted to discuss the most um, became very clear through this like very bizarre vehicle. And also like we were talking about this like disordered eating trip was uh, weirdly a helpful place to start and like rebuilding my relationship to food. And I, you know, I fell in love with Joey Chestnut. So that was kind of a big <laughs> thing for me. I wasn't in love with him before, but now I am probably forever. Why? Um, Because he is just some guy, but he has an extraordinary skill and it will probably kill him, but uh, he loves it. And I was like, that's kind of beautiful to me that you're like, this is this can't be good for me, but it is the only way I can access joy. Um, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> That's Jamie Loftus. Her book, Raw Dog, The Naked Truth About Hot Dogs, comes out this week. You can also watch videos of her stand-up and find more of her work at her website, jamieloftus.xyz. And we're giving away a copy of Jamie's book to one lucky winner. In order to win, though, you got to be subscribed to our newsletter. That'll automatically enter you into this and all of our giveaways. So you really, you want to be on that list, okay? Giveaways are open to U.S. and Canada addresses only. Sign up now at sporkful.com slash newsletter. Next week on the show, I visit my favorite place to get lobster rolls, a church on Martha's Vineyard. But this place also has a secret. That's next week. This show is produced by me along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producer Andres O'Hara. Editing by Nora Ritchie. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. Special thanks to Luke Brauner. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher Studios. Our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Nora Ritchie. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Brittany from Rahway, New Jersey, reminding you to eat more, eat better, eat more better. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Did you know that more than 113,000 children are waiting to be adopted from foster care? Ellie was one of them. When she was placed in foster care at 16 after experiencing significant abuse, she felt unlovable. Thankfully, Ellie was adopted with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. Today, she's planning on college and has a bright future. But more than 20,000 teens age out of care every year. You can help. Visit DaveThomasFoundation.org slash learn more.